Praise God. Amen. Let's look at Matthew chapter 21. 21 of Matthew. Share a message entitled, All Things Are Possible. Uh, Matthew chapter 21. We're going to begin reading in uh, verse 18. And read down to uh, verse 22. So now in the morning as he returned into the city, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon, but leaves only, and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, uh, How soon is the fig tree withered away? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith, and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, just speaking to our hearts today. And it's been a joy to be in the house of God uh, the fellowship with God's people, to be able to study the Word of God together. And uh, certainly, Lord, the music stirs our hearts and uh, speaks to our soul. And we're thankful now that we can once again open up the Bible and read it and, and study it together tonight. I pray that, that you would help us to uh, increase in our faith. I pray we'll be able to see uh, mighty things accomplished because we're simply willing to trust in the living God. And uh, Lord, I'm thankful that uh, you're greater and stronger and more powerful and better than anything that we can even imagine in this world or in the world to come. And we pray, Lord, you'd speak to our hearts tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text verse is verse 22. And all things uh, whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. All things are possible. Uh, we know that Jesus has, uh, is preparing to enter into the city of Jerusalem. Uh, we just celebrated Palm Sunday and celebrated the resurrection, Easter Sunday. But uh, Jesus had, on Palm Sunday, had directed his disciples to go into the town and uh, get a donkey and bring the colt of that donkey with them so that he might be able to enter into the city riding on the back of a donkey in fulfillment of Scripture and uh, confirming the fact that he was the Messiah, the promised one that would come to Israel. As he enters into the city, of course, he goes into the temple. And as he goes into the temple, he sees the merchandise going on. He sees the money changers there. And he confronts them about the fact that they had defiled the house of God because the house of God is to be a house of prayer. It's not a house of merchandise. And uh, oftentimes I've seen over the years people uh, start using the church as a means of creating money and, and, and uh, doing business. And the reality is the church is not a place of business. It is a place that is a spiritual house. And the house of God needs to be supported. And God's people do that through God's commands and tithes and free will offerings. But we do not merchandise the church. And I'm afraid that, that uh, well, the church, quote-unquote church, has become a great moneymaker and a business maker in the days in which we live. And it's a shame because that's not what the church is about. 
The church is a spiritual body working on spiritual principles and believing the God of heaven that Jesus said, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And because of that, we are, uh, uh, allow ourselves to fall into the trap of those that were merchandising things in the temple, and Jesus rebuked them. After he rebukes them, he departs out of Jerusalem, and he comes to the city of Bethany, and that's where he is in this chapter where we're reading. And uh, he spends the night in Bethany, and in the morning he begins to go back into the city of Jerusalem, and as he goes into the city of Jerusalem, he begins to get hungry. And as he starts to get hungry, he comes up as he passes a fig tree that he passed on the way to Bethany. And now he's coming back past there. And as he sees the fig tree, he wants to get something to eat, but there's only leaves on the fig tree. And uh, well, there was no fruit on the fig tree. And he curses the fig tree and it withers up and the disciples are amazed at what took place. And they comment on that. They were amazed that it so quickly and so soon had withered away. And Jesus' response to them was simply this, If you have faith and doubt not, you shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also you shall say unto the mountain, Be thou removed and be cast in the sea, and it shall be done. And so all things are possible. Jesus uses this experience to teach his disciples once again how necessary it is to have great faith to believe God can do things that are beyond man's control and man's abilities. And so all things are possible. First of all, I want us to consider in verse 19 the expectation of fruit. It says in verse 19, when he saw the fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only and said unto it, Let no fruit on thee henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. The expectation of Christ as he comes to the fig tree was that there would be fruit on there. It would be something to eat. Uh, I believe really God has an expectation in our lives that we are to be fruitful. I believe we ought to have an expectation in, in ourselves that we ought to be producing some type of fruit, spiritual fruit, uh, for the glory of God. And uh, to not be producing fruit is to be stagnant, is to be uh, uh, dead. It's really not to have any vitality or life whatsoever because if we're not, we have no life, we have no vitality, we have no ability to reproduce or produce fruit, uh, fruit in our lives. Uh, then it shows that we are dead. And it's, a, it's an expectation to have fruit in your life. Now, notice, first of all, I thought of this. A nat it's natural for a tree to bear fruit. And it, the, Jesus, as he comes on this fig tree, uh, the natural process of this tree was to have fruit on it. And uh, in John chapter 15, in verse 16, Jesus said, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. And he says that, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And so the expectation of God in our lives, the expectation of Christ, is that there would be fruit that would abound to the glory of God. Uh, Jesus chose us. We did not choose ourselves. 
He chose us and he ordained us for the purpose of reproducing. You know, the interesting thing is when God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, uh, the very first command that he gave them was to be fruitful and to multiply. Uh, All the way through the scriptures, you see God instructing his people to be fruitful, to be producing something that will bring glory to his name. And Jesus commands his disciples to reminding them that it was God who had ordained them and he had ordained them to bring forth fruit. So the expectation in our life is to bear fruit. If I'm not bearing fruit, if there's no evidence of fruit in my life, it, it's, it puts me in a danger zone. It makes me uh, contemplate the fact that there's no vitality or life. And so we need to be producing fruit, whether it be in our ministries that we're a part of, whether it be in our witnessing efforts, whether, whether it be in our home life or how we conduct ourselves with others, there ought to be some evidences that there is fruit that abounds to the glory of God. It's an expectation of fruit. And uh, God doesn't save us just to live a non-existent life. God doesn't save us just to sit still and do nothing. God saves us for his glory. He uses us for his glory. And in that process, there's always some type of spiritual fruit that will abound. So it's natural for a tree to bear fruit. If you have a tree and it's not bearing, you have an apple tree and it doesn't bear any apples, there's something wrong with your tree. You say the tree is sick. And uh, certainly we know that if we're a believer in Christ, we ought to have an expectation that all things are possible because it is a natural experience to be able to bear fruit for the glory of God. But I see also the new nature that we have because we've been saved, we've been born again, will bear fruit. In Galatians chapter 5, you can look over there, I thought it was interesting that Paul gives us two aspects of the Christian life. He gives us one that talks about works, and the works is the works of the flesh. And then in Galatians chapter 5, he talks about fruit, and which is the fruit of the Spirit. It certainly is evident as you read through Galatians chapter 5, uh, in verse 16, he says, For this, um, then I say then, this I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then he says, for the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary one towards another, so that ye cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the spirit, you're not under law. Now, he says in verse 19, now the works of the flesh are manifested, which are these. Now, the interesting thing is that each one of these things he lists are things that you deliberately do. If you're involved with these things, it's a work. The work, the fl- works of the flesh are manifested, which is these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, uh, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, of such like, of which I tell you before, as I have told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Works, the works of the flesh. Now, then he compares that to fruit. In verse 22, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And so there is a difference between the work of the flesh 
and the fruit of the Spirit. The new nature that we receive in Christ has the ability to bear fruit. Before we're saved, we work out the lust of the flesh. But when we get saved, now there is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is love. How do you love people that you hated before? It's because of the Spirit of God. How do you love your enemies? Like Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount, we're to love for our enemies. How do you do that? Because it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. The works of the flesh is hatred. The work of the flesh is variance. The work of the flesh is always doing something to harm someone. The fruit of the Spirit of God is love. And then he says it's joy. And it's not talking about just being stirred up in an excitable type of entertainment. It's talking about joy unspeakable and full of glory. Joy that comes from the depth of the soul of man. It's a happiness that is based on the reality of the person of Christ who is in us. And see, the world has to satisfy the flesh by being worked up into a frenzy of excitement and happiness, and they think it's joy, but then when they walk out of the concert or whatever it may be, now they're in a downer, and they're depressed, and they're discouraged, and they're angry. They get in fights, and they do all kinds of things. Why? Because that's not joy. It's just excitement and entertainment, but the Spirit of God produces fruit that is joy. You can be happy in the Lord, no matter what is going on. Peace, it's a fruit. I need to produce fruit in my life. I got to experience the fruit of the Holy Spirit in being at peace with God and with others. Long-suffering deals with the matter of having longevity and commitment. Gentleness, that's being kind and uh, loving one towards another. Goodness is not doing that which is unjust or wicked, but rather doing that which encourages and edifies and builds up. And faith is a conviction of what you believe and why you believe it. The fruit of the Spirit, meekness. You know, Moses was called the meekest man on the earth. But what a great leader Moses was. I mean, he'd brought over one and a half million people out of bondage in Egypt and led them to the promised land. <coughs> And yet he is called the meekest man on the face of the earth. Temperance is just endurance to the end. See, this fruit ought to be manifesting itself in your life and in my life. Why? Because the expectation of God is that there will be fruit in the Christian life. I believe it deals with the fruit of the Spirit. And I believe it deals with, we mentioned John 15, 16, the fruit of bringing someone to Christ that they might be saved, it might be born again. We bear fruit, we reproduce ourselves. No fruit is to bring loss of life. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus gives the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. And down in verse 25, he says this as he deals with the one who uh, had received the talent and was afraid of the master. He said, I was afraid, Matthew 25, 25, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and I gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money 
to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received my own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall he be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant in the outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The weeping and gnashing of teeth that is identified here in verse 30 is in reference to the one not willing to produce fruit for the glory of his master. God's expectation of us is that we produce fruit in our life. It may be winning people to Christ. It may be teaching and discipling others in Christ. It may be manifesting the, the temperament and the spirit of God as we have the fruit of the spirit of God working in our life. There ought to be some kind of fruit, though. There shouldn't be just this mundane type of existence getting by day by day and never producing anything. And so the expectation is fruit. Uh, Andrew Murray said this, Faith expects from God what is beyond all expectation. You say, well, I, I couldn't lead someone to the Lord. Yes, you can. You can lead somebody to the Lord. You just got to talk to somebody. You say, well, I've talked to people, and I just don't ever get anybody saved. Well, keep talking to people. Uh, you know, I, I, it's just this. You need to understand this, that uh, well, soul winning and witnessing is kind of like fishing. You go out and you go over a fishing hole, and you don't catch anything. You don't sit there. You go somewhere else. Amen. And uh, you, you go and you hunt for the fish until you find out where they are and then you catch them. And uh, when it comes time to producing fruit in soul winning, you need to go where the people are. You got to be, I remember years ago, a preacher, I was in a preacher's meeting, and this preacher made this stupid statement. And he said, you got to realize, fellas, you know, we're pastors, we're busy, we got all this church work going on, and, you know, we really don't get out of our office much, and we don't get in contact with sinners, we're always dealing with Christians, and I felt like standing up and saying, well, why don't you get out of your office? It's not hard to find a sinner to lead to Christ, just get out of your office. Go out and look for someone that you can witness to and talk to about Christ. You say, well, I don't know if I can lead somebody to the Lord. Faith expects from God what is beyond all expectations. There is expectations I have of what I believe this church can accomplish and what this church can continue to do and what it can become. And I'll guarantee you, it's beyond man's ability. It's beyond my ability. And I know this, that God wants us to produce fruit in a way that'll bring him glory and he'll come in and go beyond the expectations of man. And so the expectation is fruit. You ought to expect some type of manifestation of the fruit of God working in your life. Notice also, not only the expectation of fruit, but there's the empowerment for fruit. Notice in verse 21, Jesus said unto them, uh, verily I say unto you, if you have faith and doubt not, he's laying out the empowerment to have fruit. If you have faith and doubt not, you shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also ye shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be cast into the sea and it shall be done. I should entitle this mount, uh, message, Mountain movers, amen. 
Jesus said, you can say to this mountain, be removed, and it's going to be removed into the sea. And you say, that's ridiculous. Well, that's what Jesus said. I believe what he says. Amen. And the empowerment to be able to have fruit in our life is to have unwavering faith. He says, if you can believe, if you have faith and doubt not, an unwavering faith. You say, well, I prayed for things in the past and it didn't come to pass and nothing happened. Well, wait a minute. Don't waver in your faith. Still believe God can do what he wants to do. In James chapter 1 and verse 6 says, But let him ask in faith nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Uh, we need to have an unwavering faith. We need to believe that if God said it would be true, then God will bring it to pass like he said it's going to be in the past. I remember an old preacher saying years ago, the unbelievers and heathen don't believe that uh, the whale swallowed up Jonah. He said, I believe God so much that if God wrote down and said Jonah swallowed the whale, I'd believe it. Amen. And we just need to have a faith that is unwavering. Uh, if God said it, I can believe it. Amen. And I can trust him. I just need to have faith and doubt not. The problem is I have doubts all the time. You know, Thomas certainly was there when the Lord was crucified. He was there. He was sent out when they were sent out to preach the word of God and multitudes were saved. He was preaching and he was there when the demons were subject unto the power of Christ resting upon the disciples. He saw all this to go on. But when Christ died, he doubted whether he was alive or not. We have doubts that come into our life, but we need to have faith that will override that doubt. We need to have faith that is unwavering, believe in God. I, listen, I still believe God for the promises he gave to me years ago. There's many things I have not accomplished, many things I have not achieved in my life, but I'm still believing God for it. I believe God can work miracles and God can do things that are beyond what I can comprehend. And so I want an unwavering faith. Now, we talked this morning about getting the fat man off your back. Some people can't get the man off his, their back. They can't get victory in their life because they're wavering, they're doubting in their faith. Just believe God is strong enough to set you free, and you can experience that, an unwavering faith. Notice it's an unlimited faith. He said, you'll not only do this, the fig tree, this, this is children play. This fig tree, be thou cursed. No more fruit come upon you, and it withers away. He said, you think that's something? You can do something beyond that. You can say to this mountain, be thou removed, and be cast in the sea, and it will be done so. An unlimited faith. If God could save me, then he can save somebody else. If God, Listen, if God can bless other churches with multitudes being saved, I believe that God can bless this church with multitudes being saved. I'm afraid too many times we believers get a defeated type of spirit and we cease bearing fruit for the glory of God and because of it, our faith shrinks. I don't want my faith shrinking. I want to be living in the realm where I'm always reaching beyond what it is that God is doing. And I remember years ago, a lady down in Dividing Creek, she told me, she said, Pastor, I just feel like you're never satisfied. And I said, you're exactly right. You're the only person that's figured it out. I'm never satisfied. I want an unlimited faith. If God gives us a person to be saved this week, I want two saved next week. 
If two get saved next week, I want 10 saved the following week. If we have 30 in the church, then I want 100 in the church. If we have 200 in the church, I want 400 in the church. I'm believing God for things that are greater than what you can comprehend. An unlimited faith. I don't know why we limit God to so many things. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 19, Paul says, And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. We know this about Abraham. When he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but it was strong in faith, giving God glory. He's saying this, that listen, Abraham had an unlimited faith, and when he knew the promise was beyond human means, he gave God glory because he didn't waver in his faith. Uh, we need to stop whining sometimes and stop complaining and stop worrying about what's going on in our life, what's going on in the world, what's happening around us, and just start believing God. Man is weak. Man does not have the ability, but our God can do things that are beyond what we can do. An unlimited faith. God, come down and do what you want to do in our life and in our ministry. Empowered for fruit. The only way we can do it, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. I was listening to a message by Dr. Malone the other day on the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It got me charged up. Amen. I got all stirred up. He was 89 years old and he's preaching on the power of the Holy Spirit. And I, I thought to myself, he got up there, he was a preaching like a madman. I was like, this is great. Go on, Dr. Malone. When he was done preaching, the other preachers had to come over and help him down. He didn't have the strength to walk down, but he had the strength to stand in the pulpit at 89 years old and preach the word of God because he had faith that was not limited by his weakness in his body. I'm just saying this, that God wants to do something and God wants to move and he's going to do it based on his ability to do it, not on man's ability. President Ronald Reagan said this, we are never defeated unless we give up on God. You can't give up on God. God's still on the throne. You know, the Jesus that we celebrated dying, being buried and rose from the grave last Sunday, what a great day, packed house, and uh, just rejoicing in the music and everything that was going on. We were excited about celebrating the resurrection of Christ. You understand he's still alive. You understand he hasn't gone anywhere. You understand he's still waiting to hear from you. You understand he's still ready to do something that's miraculous. He told his disciples, hey, you can say to this mountain, be removed, and it's going to be gone. You say, that's ridiculous. Well, it is in man's mind. It's stupid and it's ridiculous. But in God's heart and God's mind, it's nothing more than just saying the word and the mountain is removed. I just think of old Caleb. You know, when the children of Israel came into the promised land and, uh, you know, Joshua and Caleb were about 80 years old when they came into the promised land. And when they came into the promised land, old Caleb, as an old man, said, saw the mountain and he said, I want that mountain. 
He said, that's the one I want. That's the one that God promised me. And that's the one I'm going to take. And old Caleb took that mountain and he possessed it. And his descendants grew up there. And how could that take place? Because he had an unlimited faith, believing that God could unleash his faith into the presence of the reality of what God could do. George Mueller said this, the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. And the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. You know, we're living in a world today where everybody's stressed out. Everybody's overwhelmed. You're talking about teenagers, young people, stressed out. I think to myself, what in the world is everybody stressed about? It doesn't make any sense to me. And, uh, and that you just talk with people, and it's like they're, they're full of anxiety, they're having panic attacks. Now, if you're dealing with that, please, I'm not saying anything negative about you. But I will say this. You need to start believing God. You need to start trusting God. I know what it is to feel anxiety. I know what it is to go through bouts of depression. I know what it is when, when it seems like everything is falling apart. I know what it is when it seems there is nowhere to turn and there's no means of escape and there's no way to be able to control the situation in. I understand that. I've been through that multitudes of time. But I found this, the anxiousness and the panic that's in my heart and the fear that grips my soul is driven away from me when I start believing that God is still on the throne and he knows where I am. I'm no longer anxious in life. Why? Because the empowerment for fruit in my life is based on my unwavering, unlimited, unleashed faith that God gives to us. So there's the expectation of fruit. There's the empowerment of fruit. And then in our chapter, we see the enactment of faith. In verse 22, all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. So here it is, the enactment of faith. Don't box yourself in. He said all things. You say, well, you know, I believe God can do all things, but you just don't understand this situation. Well, you don't believe God can do all things. I I, got to get tickled sometimes, and I think we ought to pray in accordance with the will of God Because man doesn't understand the will of God. But I think sometimes we excuse our lack of faith by praying, saying that we believe God. But nevertheless, thy will, Lord, whatever you want to do, if you don't work, you don't heal, you don't provide, you don't whatever, we kind of give God an out. It's almost we're like saying, God, if we believe that you can do this, but... You know, we're kind of hemmed in in this little box, and we understand it's kind of hard to break out of this box, and so it's all right if you don't come through. That's basically what we're doing. Why can't we just get out of the box? Don't box yourself in and just believe all things are possible. And no matter what God does, keep believing that it is possible. And when God brings something else to pass, rejoice in glory in the fact that God has shown you what great faith can do because you can't comprehend what the will of God is, but you can believe that God can do greater things than where you are and what you're believing. Don't box yourself in. Don't be afraid to ask. He said, shall ask in prayer. And so don't be afraid to ask. Sometimes I think we're afraid to ask God because what happens if it doesn't come to pass? 
I'm telling you, I've I've felt that way a couple different times in my life, being in ministry and being with people and going through situations with people. And I, I tell you, I'm confessing my sin. There's been times when I thought, I really don't want to pray this way. Because what if God doesn't answer it? And some of you are looking at me funny. But you've thought the same thing. I don't want to be too aggressive in my prayer. We'll try to pray in a general way. Because if it doesn't come to pass the way we're believing, that's okay because we've given ourselves that way out. So it doesn't have to come to pass that way. And we still feel confident about God. And so we're afraid to ask literally what it is we want God to do. And I just really believe that Jesus here is impressing upon our hearts. Don't be afraid to ask. I might say no, but God will answer the prayer. And God's answers aren't always yes, and they're not always maybe. God answers yes, and he answers no. Don't be afraid to ask, and then trust God for the answer. The enactment of faith is I'm not going to box myself in. I'm going to believe God for all things. And when I believe God for all things, I'm going to go to him and talk to him about what it is I desire and what I need for him to do. And I want to be refreshed in my faith to believe that he is listening to me. I'm not going to be afraid to ask my God because I'm afraid of what the answer is. Then he says this, believing ye shall receive. So don't box yourself in. Don't be afraid to ask and do believe and receive. You know, I love old Dr. John R. Rice's book years ago on prayer. It's just called Asking and Receiving. Asking and Receiving. I read that book a couple of times years ago. Very simple. Ask and receive. That's all. Believe when you're asking and receive the blessing. We, we go to God in faith believing that he hears us and that he answers us and we have enough faith to believe as Jesus reminded his disciples, listen, you're not only will be able to curse this tree that has no fruit on it, but you'll be able to say to this mountain be removed and it's going to be cast into the sea. And you look at it and say, that's an impossibility. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, all things. Whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. You just got to believe that. And I just believe with all my heart that if God impresses on my heart to pray for a situation or circumstances in my life that are out of my control, that God can bring it to pass as he declared he would. Just do it. Believe and receive. John Wesley said, I mean, Charles Wesley said this. Faith, mighty faith, the promise sees and looks to God alone, laughs at impossibilities and cries, it shall be done. And so there's just sometimes we just have to say, well, the Lord, we're believing you, we're trusting you, it's going to be done uh, exactly the way you said it would be done. I believe with all my heart that God can do that. You say, why, why, did you, why do you say that? Because Jesus used this experience. An impossibility, humanly speaking. An amazing rebuke of a tree that did not produce fruit. 
and he condemns that tree. He didn't condemn the tree. I don't think he condemned the tree just for the sake of condemning the tree because he didn't get what he wanted out of it. I think he condemned the tree because of the fact he wanted to teach his disciples a lesson on faith. He wanted to teach them a lesson that all things are possible to him that believeth. Now, I don't know what your struggling is with what you need to overcome, uh, but I do know this, that there is a God in heaven who hears your prayers and God will answer and God will move and God will bless. And we just need to have faith to believe and God will take care of everything else. Amen. All things are possible. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you so much that you gave us this word, you gave us this promise that all things are possible. And uh, Lord, whatever it is that we face, whatever we're going to have to go through, uh, Lord, may we always remember that you're greater than anything that is in this world. And God, you're stronger than any uh, situation that we may have to overcome. And God, we just know, we know that your expectation is that there should be fruit in our life. And oftentimes there's no fruit because we don't have the faith. And yet we can have faith to believe that this mountain would be removed and would be cast into the sea. Oh God, increase our faith. Help us to believe, God. And believe with a doubt-free spirit. Believe unwavering. Believe with expectation. Uh, believe that literally that is going to come to pass and God will be glorified. And so, Lord, speak to each of our hearts. Impress upon us the thing that we need to overcome right now. And Lord, give us faith to believe to the saving of our soul, to the influence on others, uh, that the, the person of our Savior will be glorified and exalted. And so bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's